Coming up on this episode, it's more Hot Times Beachside as we continue our sexy supernatural summer recap of Dante's Cove. Welcome to episode 395 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Jeff. Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader. Welcome back for another episode of the show. And just a quick reminder before we dive into our recap, there are books to be talked about, of course, and we do keep you up to date with recent releases in our genre in the Rainbow Romance Reader Report which is the weekly dispatch that delivers the latest news right into your inbox every Friday. There are so many great books that come out every week. It's so much more than we could ever talk about here. So the newsletter is a great way to get more recommendations from us. Go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash report for more info and to subscribe. So this time out, we're going to be talking about two episodes, and we're going to get started with season three's third episode. This episode, boy, a lot of stuff went down this time out on the cove. So previously, we had a bit of a soft cliffhanger. Grace was finally able to muster enough magic to do a spell, and she realizes that it's the House of Shadows that is causing problems throughout the cove. What exactly is the House of Shadows? We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So let's tune into this episode and see what's what. The adventures of season three continue with this episode appropriately titled Sexual Healing. And our episode opens with Toby, and he is stone cold chilling in the hot tub at the Dante when Kevin appears from beneath the bubbly waves. And even though Toby is technically with Adam right now, he doesn't seem to mind a hot tub blowy from Kevin. Well, he tried to be like, Adam's just in there, and Kevin's like, whatever. I'm having this moment with my man. <laughs> Meanwhile, Diana is stone cold tripping. Now, if you'll remember previously, Michelle cut her hand and spiked Diana's tea with some demon blood. So Diana is understandably not feeling so great. (laughs) She goes and pays a visit to Griffin, and she's like, you've already taken my power. Why is the Treason Council also messing with my mind too? And Griffin is all like, nope, it ain't me. I felt so bad for Thea Gill in this episode. (laughs) She's got three scenes, (laughs) two of which are her running around her house going, oh my God, what's happening? Oh my God, stop this. Ah, And then the one scene with Griffin. But uh, two out of her three scenes, she's just having to be like, as you put it, stone cold tripping. (laughs) Elena and Kevin are admiring the ancient trunk Britt has found submerged while she was out scuba diving one night. This is another one of those instances where you don't want to overthink it. (laughs) Why in the world was Britt scuba diving at night? And how the hell could she have found a trunk in the dark waters? See, that's usually something I would ask. And even at the end of the last episode where she hauled it out, I wasn't like, how did she do that? (laughs) What is it? What does it mean? We don't know. Because it was ridiculous. (laughs) I was okay with her scuba diving at night because she does all the, you know, oceanography, science-y stuff. And maybe she needed to go out at night to do some of that. But to find the trunk in the dark water and then be able to haul back what she made clear as she pulled it out of the water was heavy. Yeah. Anyway, it's clearly a piece of valuable antiquity. So Kevin grabs a crowbar and he says, let's smash it open, which they do. But there's nothing inside the box. Frankly, I've been amazed that Kevin hasn't been able to read the box, given that apparently he can read treason type, you know, 
things now since he's been reading Bro's book for the last few episodes. But no such luck there. And yes, it is sadly empty. I did like the bit of an argument between Michelle and Elena of like, I'm going to study this. I'm a scientist. Well, I collect and display antiquities, so I'm going to buy it from you. <laughs> it's like, um, okay. <laughs> you could do both. Ambrosius is feeling a little bit weak and strung out, so he goes to Griffin, who proves to be a very popular fellow this week. Indeed. Who takes him to the lair and shows him how he uses sex and power transference. In magical terms, Griffin refers to it as a charging station. <laughs> In this particular scene, we see that Tom is essentially minding the store while Colin is away. And if you turned into the first season of The Lair, you know that Tom is one of the main characters on that particular show. But this is his first appearance on Dante's Cove. The how and the why and the specifics of this particular <laughs> appearance are left, I assume, purposefully vague. I had to go back and double check. The first season of The Lair premiered in the fall of 2007. And once those episodes aired, season three of Dante's Cove immediately started. So were they just trying to be consistent, perhaps, and who was at the lair? Well, consistency has never been this show's particular strength. Where we left Tom and all of the other characters on the lair doesn't necessarily jibe with what's going on here in this episode. Not the least of which is the fact that in the lair series, the lair happens to be in L.A. and not on an island <laughs> somewhere. But that might be overthinking it again. In any case, we're glad to see actor David Moretti turning up in the cove. Maybe he was vacationing at the Dante's Cove location. Toby and Adam are busy preparing for Trevor's birthday at the cove. Trevor, you'll remember, is the local himbo portrayed by Riken Lemuel. And Toby and Adam are putting up little happy birthday streamers and they're fulfilled and in love. <laughs> and they have a little conversation about how the timing was never right before, but... Everything is perfect now. Even though Kevin's coming up out of the hot water bu hot tub bubbles. <laughs> so at the birthday party, everyone has gathered for gifts and for cake. And as they're lighting the candles on that cake, Adam is transfixed by the flames. And he has a saint flashback. Grace sees this occur and explains that his bad trips, or visions, are prophetic sight granted by the Starflower. If he'll take some saint with her, she can share in his visions and stop the destruction to come from the House of Shadows. But Adam says, uh-uh, no way. And Grace needs more Starflower to bolster her magic. Adam suggests that she go to the lair. So she does. <laughs> it, what is one of the best scenes ever? <laughs> it's... it's <sighs> <laughs> with the well-earned confidence of a true soap opera diva, she just goes sauntering on into the orgy room and tells Tom that she is there on business. Yes, but not before a quick flashback of the horrific time that she had finding Ambrosius and his valet all those episodes ago <laughs> and all those hundreds of years before. She does stand there for a moment a little in shock, but she quickly remembers that she's there on important business. And by business mean she's looking for the drugs. And who'd have thunk there was an entire hothouse of flowers right behind the lair? Okay, well, okay, hold on just a second. Grace says she's there on business. Tom automatically seems to know what this stranger he's just met means, and he takes her into the back room. And let me, I don't, oh God, I don't even know where to begin with this. He takes her to a heretofore unmentioned starflower growing farm. It's supported, it, okay. I think it's really supposed to look like a, hydroponic lab 
there's plastic hanging everywhere. And the starflower plants that the prop department have sort of like rigged to hang down from the ceiling. You just know they found those at Michael's <laughs> in the big streams of like flower garland that they've got. Yeah, it's sort of a combination of some plastic ivy garland and a few flowers thrown in there to look pretty. There are some naked horticulturalists <laughs> tending to the plants. Meaning that they're just spritzing them with water. <laughs> it's really adorable. And Grace snips off a star flower. She's got all that she needs. I'm not even sure she paid for that. Like Tom said, sure, let me throw... I don't even know. This doesn't make any sense at all. They have... Yeah. There's there's literal, There's no conversation. There's no discussion of business at all. Yeah. And you're right about the hydroponic thing. When they walked in there, quite honestly, where my brain went, and this is going to be a reference that's lost probably on most of the audience, I felt like it could have been a moon base alpha a hydroponic garden that had been set up. So that night at H2O, things are hopping, and Kevin comes over to Ambrosius, and he's like, I'm so tired. I think I'll head home. I'll see you later, babe. It was at this moment in the episode, as I looked at the two of them sharing screen time together, it's like, why does Ambrosius have such ugly jewelry? I mean, not only has he put that really awful bracelet on that we've talked about before that looks like it came from Grandma's jewelry box, but somehow he's now wearing what looks to be like a costume jewelry necklace thing that has like a bejeweled snowflake on it. It's like, what is that? <laughs> why are you wearing it? Something else that just doesn't make sense. Adam is working his shift at the bar, and when he looks away, Grace spikes his cup of coffee with some saint. Poor Adam, he cannot catch a break. No, moments later, he is stoned out of his mind, and Grace leads him to a cliff overlooking the ocean and performs an incantation to see what he sees. And what she ends up seeing is a repeat of the montage that Adam had earlier, cut together sequence of stuff that's going to be happening in the finale of this season. Spoiler alert, the things you see here will be happening later. Ambrosius is drinking with Griffin at the bar and tells him that he's finally going to release Kevin from the spell because they are so super in love. And Griff is all like, from captive to soulmate. Oh, that's a touching story. Adam, meanwhile, stumbles home to the Dante. And Toby isn't pleased to see that he's obviously using again. And it's here at this particular moment as I'm looking down at my notes. I made a notation of how ripped actor John Fleming looks in this particular season. And I mean, in this particular moment between Adam and Toby, there's supposed to be a moment of dramatic tension. But I am really distracted by how exceptionally buff and tan and oiled up John Fleming is right now. Clearly, he worked out ahead of the season and then he <laughs> became even more tan being in Hawaii. It's sort of a running gag on the show that Adam doesn't own a shirt. True. But earlier, he had on a tank top at Trevor's birthday party. So obviously, his character is growing as a person. <laughs> Finding a little bit of clothing here and there. <laughs> a little bit of decorum. So while that particular drama is playing out, Ambrosius arrives home to find Kevin doing some major magic stuff. Kevin is all like, take this bracelet off of me. And Ambrosius is like, no. <laughs> so Kevin uses his magic sparkle fingers and goes, pew, pew. And then Kevin is like, I'm stronger than you. And Ambrosius is like, no, you're not. And more pew pew again. Except in this case, Kevin really is stronger than Ambrosius. <laughs> and in one particularly dramatic moment of the showdown, Ambrosius holds up a hand mirror. Because, of course, Ambrosius has a hand mirror laying on a side table. Yeah, of course. 
He holds up the mirror and he deflects the magic sparkle powers and he momentarily incapacitates Kevin. But mirrors will be important later. Mirrors are a big deal this season, so just hang on to your hats for that one. Ambrosius makes a run for it. He goes directly to Griffin. And he's like, please, let's do some sex magic. (laughs) And so Griffin happily obliges. In the best shower ever. I know. So immediately (laughs) they go hit the showers where they engage in some pretty extreme soft core shenanigans. There's lots of steam and beautiful moonlight. It's like a classic episode of Red Shoe Diaries. You, You mentioned how you were distracted by John Fleming's abs earlier from what was actually happening. I was totally distracted by the shower itself from the sexy shenanigans that were going on. The shower is ginormous. I mean, you could probably put four, five, six people in that shower space, but one wall of it is glass and looking out over palm trees and whatnot. they're, They're in Hawaii. It's a tropical paradise. So bathrooms and sort of... Outdoor tubs, those sorts of things are pretty de rigueur. Yeah, but this was extra fancy. It was it was pretty nice. Yeah. So yeah, they're having sex, but like, look at the rest of this place. <laughs> My God. <laughs> so Griff shows him how the power transference works. And afterwards, Griff warns him that if he's going to face Kevin once again, he needs to be, in his words, overflowing with power. <laughs> Which means Ambrosius is now on the prowl. Mm-hmm. He goes out cruising that one locker room. Yeah, wherever that's at. <laughs> we discussed the the locker room mystery in a previous episode. Uh, once again, there's no context. Yeah, we don't know if it's at the lair or at the local gym or at a hotel. or It remains unclear. But he doesn't go to the lair, which is also kind of strange to me. But whatever. Get your kicks on the locker room if you want. Grace visits Griffin asking for help with the House of Shadows problem. He says he'll do it only if she swears loyalty to the Treason Council. She is deeply offended by this notion. She (laughs) hauls off and gives him a great big soap opera slap across the face. Grace Neville is nobody's aspirant. She was much more successful in the slap than Diana was. Diana tried to slap Griff earlier in the episode, and he caught her and didn't let her do it. But she he couldn't get away from Grace. Ambrosius is busy getting his dick sucked all over the island, while Kevin is busy putting things in place for a final showdown. You would have never known in like seasons one and two that Kevin could be quite so devious and such a good actor that Ambrosius was oblivious to what was going on. Michelle shows up at Britt's Surfside Research Shack and promptly seduces her, once again bringing to mind the Red Shoe Diaries. And Grace has reconsidered Griffin's offer. To save the world, she says that she'll do it. What a moment of growth for Grace to have, you know, to to think of things other than her own pursuits and needs and, you know, the goals that she has. So good for her. As we barrel towards the climax of this particular episode, power struggles are going on all over the island. Diana is still tripping. <laughs> and Michelle is torturing her by whispering sweet demonic nothings in her ear. <laughs> From across the yard. She's got powerful... Powerful whispers. Ambrosius comes home and is all charged up, and he attempts to subjugate Kevin, but he knocks Bro out with a magic potion. He quickly casts a spell, and the ugly slave bracelet finally, finally pops off. And Kevin's all like, baby, I'm free. 
kind of wanted him to bust out into the Kenny Loggins song from Footloose. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> With just the vigor by which he said he was free, you could have gone into the whole like song and dance palooza there, but you know that's not this show. Once again, they don't take the opportunity to fully take Ambrosius out of the picture, which was just too bad. They've had those opportunities before to remove him and they don't do it. So I'm sure Ambrosius will be back going after Kevin at least one more time. At least one more time. There's plenty of time (laughs) for him to kind of come back and do some more. And so that wraps up that episode. So let's roll right on to season three, episode four. There's a certain word I'm not allowed to say in this episode, but let's just suffice to say that there's a whole bunch of crazy going on in this particular episode. So I think this episode is a lot of fun. I mentioned previously that this is the penultimate episode as we're leading into what will become the series finale of the show. I did actually find myself cheering once. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. But it's like, yes, good for you. (laughs) But they also cram a lot into this episode because they are racing towards the finale of the season. And as you said, ultimately the series. Well, I think previous episodes, we've been setting up the proverbial pins and now we're starting to knock them down. Mm -hmm. So in episode four of season three, titled Like a Virgin... I don't need to do any recaps for you because we pick up exactly where the last episode left off. Diana appeals to Griffin. She's like, please give me back my powers. And he's like, -uh." (laughs) nuh-uh. Michelle wants to sex Brit up again, but she's hesitant because things are good with Elena. So Michelle asks for help with a treason spell. And presumably this is to help her find answers in the death of her parents. But we all know the story behind that. It's like, she's crazy. She's possessed. I'm like, Brit, you in danger, girl. (laughs) I can't quite figure out, and this is true throughout the episode, I can't quite figure out what Michelle's trying to do with Brit, with doing the spell and touching the book and these things. It may come to light in the next episode, what's going on there with her master plan to like take over everybody and stuff. But through this episode, rather, I'm like... What are you doing? You've got such grander plans kind of in play here. What are we doing with Brit? Well, okay, here's the thing. We assume Michelle has grander plans, but we actually do not know what they are. I mean, since it's been revealed that she's been possessed by the House of Shadows, it seems like her general raison d'etre is just to cause general chaos. True. So far. We don't know what the exact end game is just yet. And one other thing I thought was particularly adorable about this scene is then when Michelle asked Britt to do the spell, Britt's like, I don't believe in that. I'm a scientist. <laughs> I'm a scientist who does science. <laughs> it's like, I love you, Britt. You're so amazing. Now, Grace, who previously agreed to be Griffin's aspirant, they're doing the whole whoop-de-doodle transference of power ceremony and there's candles and smoke and because this is dante's code there's indoor lightning you gotta have your indoor storm anytime some (laughs) magic is going down and once the ceremony is complete griff tells her that the avatar aspirant relationship is a partnership in every sense of the word so he picks her up and he carries her off to the bedroom and Grace is all like, okay, sure, because let's be honest, hooking up with Jensen Atwood really is not a hardship. Yeah, I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> this is the part of the show where I cheered for her. Yes, I mean, she just had to go through all that crap that she went through. And I wouldn't say that she asked necessarily to be his aspirant. She kind of got forced into it to deal with the House of Shadows thing. But, you know, 
there's a celebratory moment here that now gets to happen as she gets swept away by this handsome man who, let's face it, Jensen is a lot more sexy than Ambrosius ever was. <laughs> there's a wonderfully romantic consent moment where he asks Grace if she's sure. And she says, I have never been more sure of anything in my life. This was my applause moment. <laughs> Damn right. Because <laughs> Grace, after hundreds of years, is finally losing her virginity. Hence the whole title of the episode. <laughs> because of everybody who's ever gotten down on Dante's Cove, it has never been Grace. Kevin reunites with Toby, explaining that he took Ambrosius's power little by little. And he was finally able to ditch that slave bracelet and break free of the spell. Ambrosius wakes up from being whammied by Kevin in the last episode, and he is none too pleased. <laughs> no, he is not. And yet he's very amusing as he puts on his grumpy face. So while Ambrosius is being all grrr and stalking around Dante's Cove, Elena is busy chilling at home, just generally being a hot lesbian listening to her first gen iPod. It's so cute. It's really adorable. When Elena, she senses something is not quite right. She is not alone in the house. So she hides in an armoire. As one does. Sure, let's just go with that. And she's discovered by Michelle. She does at least have the presence of mind to pick up, you know. It's like a fireplace poker, I, I think. I think it was the fireplace she's, poker. She's got a weapon and she's hiding. So She tried. And maybe there are no closets to the Dante. We don't know. She, that's, that's true. Who knows? I don't know. And when Michelle discovers her, she is momentarily relieved until she realizes that Michelle is the real threat. And they fight. They have a scuffle. And Elena is injured. Britt discovers her and shouts for help. So Toby and Kevin come running. But they cannot get through to 911. And there's not enough time to take her to the hospital. Kevin has the bright idea to use a healing spell. Well, they've got a witch right there in the house. <laughs> so they rouse Grace from her afterglow, and she is able to diagnose Elena's attacker as the House of Shadows. Modern medicine will be no help against this injury of dark magic. Their thought process here really intrigued me. Call 911, which you can't get through to, but put that aside. Call 911 and wait for whatever first responder shows up. But yet we don't have time to take her to the hospital, which is where the first responders will in fact take her. But Kevin has time to run off and go look for the sunbook across the island, however far away Bro's house is. I'm just assuming all the panic of the situation got the best of them, so they weren't quite thinking clearly on how to deal with like the medical side of this. Of course, getting Grace was the right thing to do, because she can come in and be all witchy and stuff in her delightful afterglow. And can we just talk about for a second that post-afterglow moment where she magically transforms from her lovely white robe into... What essentially could let her play Catwoman. It's pretty freaking amazing. <laughs> so Toby comes to get her and like knocks on her door. And she tells Griffin, they can't see you here. So he goes, he, he goes, she goes, whoosh, and disappears. And she then essentially, she snaps her fingers and does this fabulous costume change <laughs> into this black cat suit. Looking gorgeous. It's like Wonder Woman meets Catwoman right there in I terms know. of costume transition. Grace is amazing, and she's able to temporarily stabilize Elena, but she needs a specific spell from the Moon Book, which she doesn't currently have. And as Jeff just mentioned, Kevin has gone in search of Ambrosius's copy of the Sun Book, which he can't find because Bro has it at the club. And he attempts to recast the Aspirant Love Spell over Kevin, but it doesn't work. So he hides the book in his office, and he then sees Griff, who, after his hookup with Grace, 
has gone out to the club for a drink. And maybe another hookup. Who can say? Well, I think this particular moment coming up was kind of hot in a spectacularly ridiculous way. Because Griff catches the eye of a particularly slutty blonde hunk and a pair of Daisy Dukes that leave nothing to the imagination. But in this particular instance, even a Chippendale-style lap dance isn't enough to get Griff interested. Griff's a bit of a romantic. He wants to talk first. (laughs) It's so funny. Meanwhile, Ambrosius is going to need more power if he's going to magically enslave Kevin once again. So he drains the life force from two horny surfers hooking up on the side of the road. And then he goes to the lair and drains Tom and Trevor too. And who knows how many other people he may have gotten. He's on a rampage. Grace enlists Griffin's help and they go to that cliffside spot from the previous episode. And they share Grace's vision of the House of Shadows. And they finally realize that Michelle is the shadow host. When Griff tries to order her to stay put and out of harm's way, she just laughs. You see, she switched the medallion that was part of the ceremony, and he actually has no power over her, because Grace Neville is nobody's aspirant. Such a delightful moment. I mean, Grace really poured on the, oh my god, I'm becoming an aspirant, I don't like it. I mean, she really acted the hell out of the the ceremony itself, so that Griff fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Um, And now she's like, "Uh uh-uh, tricked you, but I do love you anyway. Yeah, she assures him that everything they did after the ceremony meant the world to her. And Griff is so into all of this. I know. He's like, girl, I see you. He's like. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Michelle and her sweet Michelle disguise, not possessed psycho killer, goes to Britt in a show of friendly support. She pulls the moon book out of her purse and convinces Britt to help her with a spell to save Elena. And she, in fact, does a pretty good job of convincing her. Britt is just about to lay her hand on the book, but Grace arrives just in time to keep Michelle from hurting Elena further. They have a wild, aggressive fight, and Michelle makes a run for it, leaving the book behind. Yes, because Grace casts a force field over the book, which was nice, so that they get to keep the moon book. It was interesting how much more physical this fight was over Sparkly Fingers, because Sparkly Fingers weren't quite doing the trick, so of course you might as well just get in there and fight. In the light of day, Britt, Kevin, and Toby gather to watch over Elena as Grace explains that Michelle is no longer Michelle, which I think all of them by this point have (laughs) the general idea. I think they get the gist. Yeah. But suffice it to say, they are all in danger. Grace has now had some time to read through the Book of the Moon, and they realize the old trunk that Britt dragged up out of the ocean once held the House of Shadows and once again can be used to imprison it. Trevor and Adam, after an earlier tussle with Ambrosius at the lair, finally stumble home and toby is happy to see that adam is okay and kisses him which infuriates kevin and he unleashes a magical show of force over toby and is all like look at all that i've done for you it's super not cool yeah kevin's let that power go to his head forgetting how he felt when bro enslaved him it's not a good look on him and toby wants none of it yeah he makes sure kevin realizes that he is not into this power trip at all and he is with adam now But despite all this relationship drama, they need to stick together and deal with the problem at hand. Kevin selfishly stalks off anyway. And as sun sets on the cove, Diana comes to Grace to offer her help. She might currently be powerless, but she's got knowledge. And together, they can drive the shadows out of Michelle. So they go to Michelle's apartment and come face to face with the beast. Which in this particular instance means actress Jill Bennett is wearing some spooky contact lenses and making a growly face. But you get the idea. And that's where the episode leaves us. 
Well, you left out one of my favorite pieces of this show, which happens right here at the end, because Griff is trying to find Grace to talk about all the things that are going on. And he's told that she went with Diana to go confront Michelle. Well, he goes to Diana's house where the teapot continues to sit. We don't know how much time has passed since Diana had the tea with the blood dropped in it, but it's at least two episodes back at this point. (laughs) But it's still hanging out on the table. Very cold by now. Griff picks up the teapot, looks inside, sees a bunch of visions, but then looks truly horrified. He has the strangest look on his face from what he has come to understand from this teapot and its contents. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting facial choice you just made there. I don't know, maybe it smelled bad because of the blood or I just don't know. (laughs) It kind of cracked me up. But yeah, you're right. That's the end of the penultimate episode of Dante's Cove. If you'd like to check out Dante's Cove for the first time or maybe revisit it, because come on, haven't we convinced you that you need to enjoy everything that is Dante's Cove? All three seasons can be found streaming on Amazon Prime Video. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read our conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And we would really love to hear your thoughts on Dante's Cove. So if you have anything you'd like to comment about it, drop us something in the show notes page. We'd love to read it. All right. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up next in episode 396, we've reached the end. We're going to be talking about the series finale of Dante's Cove. Yes, we look forward to having you back here with us next week for the final battle with the House of Shadows. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening. and We hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love. The big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. Thank you.